Thanks, Heidi. So good to see each of you here today on this Easter morning. Glad you've come to worship. You may be familiar with the concept of confirmation bias, right? If you have confirmation bias, it means that you're predisposed to believe things that confirm information that confirms what you already believe, right? And so if, for example, uh, you believe that left-handed people are more intelligent than right-handed people, you're going to look for evidence everywhere, right? You go to a lecture and the person who's talking is just absolutely brilliant. You just so respect their research, their argumentation, the way they talk, everything they say, and you're so impressed, you decide, I've got to get that person's uh, autograph. And so you walk up, you hand them a pen and a pad of paper, right? Lo and behold, they take their left hand and they sign their autograph there. And you say, I knew it. That's the way it is. Left-handed people, they're more intelligent and generally more creative than anybody else. I'm right-handed, so yeah, okay. I'm right-handed, so I'm not uh, making a point here. But that's confirmation bias. When it came to the resurrection of Jesus, there was a lot of confirmation bias going on. But fascinatingly, it wasn't what we would have expected. Uh, Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. But their bias was against the resurrection. Their bias was that Jesus couldn't have been raised from the dead. And so, for example, when the women came back from the tomb, they, they brought this report. They said, the tomb is empty, and these two angels appeared to us, and they said, Jesus has risen from the dead, just like he said. And the disciples thought, that's nonsense. It made absolutely no sense to them. And so there, for a variety of reasons, their bias was that Jesus had not been raised from the dead. If you are dead on Friday, there is no way you're going to be alive and well on Sunday. And so in the passage we just read, we're going to see two things, uh, how Jesus broke through their bias against the resurrection. He was very intent on convincing them, number one, the fact of the resurrection, and number two, the significance of the resurrection. The fact of the resurrection, he wanted them to know he was literally bodily raised from the dead. And number two, he wanted to know why that was important, why it mattered. And the two rise or fall together, don't they, right? Uh, The significance of the resurrection, if he really fulfilled everything that was written in the scriptures, it, it uh, depends wholly on whether or not he was literally raised from the dead. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The fact of the resurrection in verses 36 through 43. The scene is in Jerusalem where the disciples had gathered together. It was the evening of that very first Easter. And they had had these two guys. They came in and they told this wild story about they were going to Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus walked up. And he talked to them. He was risen from the dead. And so they were talking about this account. We read in verse 36, as they were talking about these very things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And so the impression is that Jesus just appeared. It's not that he opened the door and walked in. He appeared. He gave the common Jewish greeting, shalom. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. What's their bias? Their bias was, that can't be Jesus (laughs) raised from the dead. They thought it was more plausible that they were seeing a spirit 
that look like Jesus, maybe even Jesus' spirit right there. And what's fascinating is that Jesus, what he does next, he attends to their troubled, doubting hearts, just like he had done the night before the resurrection. You may remember John 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Here's what he says in verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So you see what he's doing? He's intent on convincing them that he who is standing there is the same person who had been hanging on the cross on Friday. He said, look at my hands, look at my feet, see the scars, touch them if you would like. And he, he he points out that a spirit, which by definition is a being which does not have a body, a spirit does not have flesh and bones like he did. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And so Jesus' resurrected body had and has, present tense, the scars from the crucifixion. In verse 41, I find somewhat humorous. While they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? What's going on there? Was he suddenly hungry? Was he wanting a snack? What's going on here? Well, that's highly unlikely. Jesus was actually trying to prove to them that he was not a spirit. And as we all know, we can all agree spirits don't eat. They don't ingest food. And so he said, do you have anything to eat? In verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. The fact that he could take and eat a piece of fish meant that he actually had a tangible body. And we could speculate all day long about the nature of Jesus' resurrected body. And it's a very uh, relevant topic because believers are told that we at the resurrection will have a body that is akin to Jesus' resurrected body. So we could speculate a lot, but two things are just very obvious here. Number one, there's continuity between the, the body that was on the cross and the body they were seeing. And so it was his body that was resurrected there. And number two, it was a tangible body. They could see it. They could touch it. He could actually eat. And so Jesus was very intent on convincing the disciples that the resurrection was a fact. He had literally been raised bodily from the dead. And so when the Bible speaks about the resurrection of Jesus, it's not just using an inspiring metaphor, okay? It's not just, oh, Jesus was raised from the dead. There are new beginnings. There's life out of death. There's triumph over tragedy. No, what it's saying is that Jesus actually was raised bodily from the dead. That's what we're told to believe very, very specifically. Now we ask the question, why does that matter? Why, why isn't it enough that Jesus lived a good life? He taught some amazing things. He's a great example for us. Why does it matter that he was literally raised bodily from the dead. Well, that's what he he talks about. Beginning in verse 44, we see the significance of the resurrection. And in these verses, Jesus basically says that the resurrection was the last step in God's predetermined plan for the ages. The last step in his predetermined plan for him as the Messiah. And notice in these verses how he repeatedly talks about his life, death, and resurrection in connection with the scriptures, meaning what we would call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Verse 44, then he said, 
to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so the law, the prophets, and the writings, that was the standard, the standard divisions within the Hebrew scriptures. Um, mentions the Psalms here as representing the writings. And so Jesus is saying that over the past three years, everything he had told them, uh, he had been telling them that he would in fact fulfill everything written about the Messiah in the scriptures. For example, you could go a number of places, but if you go to Luke 4, you'll see that Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, and he went into the synagogue, which is the kind of the local uh, place of worship for Jews. And as was his custom, he stood up, they handed him the scrolls, he read from it, he handed it back, and then he would sit down and teach. That day they handed him Isaiah 61, and he read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so that was a passage about the Messiah, the, the servant of the Lord. Jesus read that. He handed the, the scroll back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all eyes were on Jesus. What would he say next? Jesus said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he said, I'm the one who Isaiah was writing about. And the more they asked for clarification, it appeared Jesus was saying what it sounded like he was saying. And they got so mad at him, so angry, they tried to throw him over a cliff. But you can read throughout the Gospels how Jesus said, I have fulfilled what the Scriptures teach. But significantly, his disciples didn't understand what he was saying, and there's a sense in which they could not understand what he was saying until after the resurrection. Back in Luke 18, for example, we read that Jesus told them before the the last time they went to Jerusalem, he told them very specifically, very clearly, that he would be mocked, spit upon, flogged, killed, and raised from the dead on the third day. There are no big words there, right? There's nothing complicated. That's very obvious what what Jesus, what those words mean. But we read in Luke 18, 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. And so before the resurrection, they couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying. The idea that Jesus would, in his teaching and in his life in general, would exhibit such power and such authority. And then he would be crucified was unthinkable. And so that was, that was unthinkable. And so uh, the idea of a subsequent bodily resurrection was far outside the realm of possibility for them. It just, it just was no way they could understand that Jesus was talking very plainly. But on that first Easter evening, after they understood the fact of the resurrection, after they understood, oh, Jesus is literally bodily raised from the dead. Now they were able to understand, they were in a place to understand the significance of the resurrection. And so we read in verse 45, then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scripture. 
He gave them the supernatural capacity to understand the significance of the Scriptures. You know, you may be in a situation a lot like the original disciples. Uh, you may have grown up in church like I did, hearing the words, and uh, you, you understand the words that are being said. I understand, yes, Jesus died, got it. Jesus rose from the dead, got it. But you're, you're in your mind, you're thinking, I don't know, what is the big deal? I mean, Christians talk about the resurrection like it's the Super Bowl or so, or the World Series or the Final Four. They're like, what, what is the big deal? Why are Christians so excited about this? Why do they give their lives to this? And I was like that for the first 20 years of my life. My dad was a pastor. I heard the words. I, I read the stories. But it was like, what is the meaning of that? When I was 20 years old, God opened my mind, my mind to understand the Scripture. And I absolutely fell in love with Jesus and became enamored with the ways of Jesus. And that's the good news. Jesus still does this. He opens people's minds to understand the Scripture. And so if I'm describing you and you know the words but don't understand the significance, what's the big deal? I would encourage you, this is too big a deal to remain passive about it. I would encourage you, cry out to God. Say, God, I want to understand. I want to understand why it matters that Jesus died and rose again. I would encourage you to read the scriptures. Uh, that's where you find the, the, the direct data, the information for yourself. And talk with people who do understand the message. If you seek with all your heart to understand the scriptures, God will give you that understanding. Those that seek find. Those that ask, receive. Those that knock, have the door open to them. Again, this is just, just too important an issue to settle for living in confusion. So Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Verse 46, he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Again, he said, I look, when you look back at the Old Testament, this is what was written. He would suffer, he would rise from the dead, the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You won't actually find a specific set of scriptures that use these exact words, but in various places you will find scriptures that teach that the Messiah would suffer, that the Messiah would not be abandoned to the grave, but he would rise again, and that the Messiah, you know, the message of the Messiah for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to the nations. And notice that this message involves repentance for forgiveness of sins. What is repentance? That's, a, that's kind of a church word, right? But repentance, it doesn't just mean feeling sorry for your, your sin. Oh, I'm really sorry I've done that. Repentance actually means a change of direction. So if you're going north and you repent, you actually turn around and you go south. And so repentance is not just feeling bad that you're going north and you keep going north. Spiritually speaking, if you repent, if you're running away from God and running towards sin and living for yourself, if you repent, you renounce that and you turn toward God in faith. And you say, God, I want you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. And the amazing thing, this message is that God does. And when God forgives you, and this is, this is very significant, when he, when he forgives you, he says, okay, I accept. You have offended me. You have sinned against me. But I am never going to hold it against you. I'm never going to throw it back in your face. You're never going to have to pay for what you have done. 
Why? Because Jesus paid for it. He died the death that you deserve. I welcome you into my family, into my kingdom for eternity. And so that's the message. He says it's going to be proclaimed to all the nations. And so the way of Christ was never meant to be limited to one people, one ethnicity, one geographic region. Since the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had created the whole world, God loved the whole world so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but you would have eternal life. And Jesus tells them in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. You've seen these things firsthand. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. Stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. If you read the book of Acts, which is the companion volume to Luke, Luke wrote both of those, you'll see how the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon the disciples, and they had this newfound power and confidence, and they took the gospel, this message, to the entire known world. They went from being full of doubt and full of anxiety, full of fear, to being confident and bold. They gave their lives to spread this message. They never would have done that unless they understood the fact of the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection. Like this message, it is worth dying for. It's worth living for. It's worth dying for. Some of you are familiar with that, uh, the game Jenga, right? You ever played that? Jenga? So you have these, these wooden blocks and you, you stack them up, these alternating patterns. And the game, you just pull out a, you pull out a block at a time and uh, try not to knock over the, the tower. And so you lose if you pull out a block that makes the whole thing collapse. Well, in th- if the Christian faith is a tower, the resurrection is that block. If you take out the resurrection, the entire thing collapses. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul said, if Christ was not literally bodily raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. The corollary, if Christ was raised from the dead, your faith is priceless because the resurrection confirms, it validates everything Jesus taught and everything he did. If Christ was raised from the dead, it means that he was, he was speaking truth about who God is, about how is the best way to live our lives, about what he accomplished on the cross as our substitute, as our sacrifice. And so we're probably in a lot of different places here, but I would encourage you, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus and you've heard the words, but you don't really get it and you haven't given your life to it, I would urge you to cry out to God, ask him to open your mind to the the truth of the scriptures, seek God, pray that he shows you your need for forgiveness and for eternal life. And when he does, simply turn from your sin and turn to him in faith and experience eternal life. And for some people, it's relatively easy and simple. You're just like, ah, the light comes on. You have this faith. For other people, you need conversations. And I would just say this to you. If you would like someone to have a conversation with, we would love to provide that person. There are many people at this church that would love to talk with you. And this may sound like the riskiest thing you've ever done in your life, but, but I assure you it would be a conversation without any pressure and any expectations. There are people that would just love to, to dialogue and talk with you about it. I mean, we all need that. And so if, if you would like someone to talk to, we would love to provide that person. Um, 
If you want to mention it to somebody here today, or if you want to go to the website where you watch the, the live cast, you can just click the button that says, I'm interested in knowing more about following Jesus, and we'll get in touch with you. But again, this is too big an issue to be passive about. I would encourage you to make this your ambition. Is this true, and is it really the thing I should, I should give my life to? Will this affect my eternity? If you're already a believer, allow the fact of the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection to give you a newfound boldness and confidence in your faith. You, the, the scriptures are trustworthy. You can trust what they, or they say. They are written by people who saw firsthand Jesus on the cross and then raised from the dead, or people who are close to people who saw Jesus on the cross and were raised to dead, people like Luke. And so the scriptures will tell you that Jesus really is the good shepherd. He really is the bread of life. He really is the living water. He's that satisfying. You should be confident in your walk with him in this life and for eternity. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us a a newfound love and delight in the resurrection. God, for those who are um, not yet convinced, God, thank you so much that they are, are here. Thank you that they're listening to your word and willing to consider it, willing to seek you. I pray you give them the desire and the, the uh, ability to seek you. I pray you provide people that they can talk with honestly and uh, humbly. God, may we all seek you with all our hearts and find you to be satisfying. Thank you that Jesus is risen. In his name we pray, amen.